Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit forerunnerchurch.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Moravian Outpouring Day. 297 years ago on this day, the Moravians experienced what came to be known as the Moravian Pentecost. We're part of that story. It rolls down through the ages, through the generations. Here we are, keeping the flame alive. God, I thank you that you are with us. I thank you that you are for us. I thank you that nothing can separate us from your love and that you have eternal plans that are so good, so outrageous, that you spent 6,000 years and 66 books of the most beloved, best-selling book in the world to make sure that there would be a people prepared for days of inheritance. God, let us be among those people. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you two stories. Now, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm, I'm calling an audible on myself here. I am, uh, I'm going to quickly move through. If you don't have notes, you can raise your hand. They'll get them to you. I think that's already been done. But if you don't have notes, you can raise your hand. I'm going to quickly move through the first page and a half because that's all I got to <laughs> in the first service. So I'm going to wrap that up in about seven minutes, and I'm actually going to let the first service be part one, and this is going to be part two. I need to give you enough uh, so you have context. So I'm going to start with a couple of stories I told in the first service. When I was a young father, about 29, 30 years old, I had my oldest two boys. Uh, they were either age six and four or five and three at the time. And I decided to do something fun with them one night. So I... About midnight or 1 a.m. when they were good and asleep, I snuck into their room. I'm down low, and I've got a little flashlight, and I've got a flashlight for them. And I wake them up just enough in their bleary-eyed fatigue. I go, shh, this is important. Come with me. And I put a flashlight in their hands. I go and wake the one. I wake the other. They're, you know, they're obviously very uh, groggy, but they wake up fairly quickly. We didn't have a big house, but I kind of, in the dark, I planned this little route. I said, okay, turn off your lights or they'll see us. And we scampered across the floor to hide behind the couch. And then, you know, okay, quick, we got to make it over there. And then go into the kitchen. And then I, I, I looked at him and I was like, okay, this isn't going to work. We have to go farther. So we snuck outside at 1 a.m. Okay, let's make it to that tree. I think we got to get over there. Well, this is, this is to them the greatest adventure of their lives, if you can imagine, right? And so we're working our way around the house at night. The stars are out. The moon is bright. We lived on the outskirts of town, so there's not a lot of... It, it was a little, you know, it, it was glorious. Just shadows and darkness, and, but they had a light. I said, follow me. And we went all the way to the backyard, and in the backyard, we had one of those, you know, uh, uh, four-by-four stick frame kind of play towers. This wasn't new to them. 
they played on it every day. But it was one of those, you know, climb up a ladder, go down the slide, one of those kind of things. And I said, we've got to get to the top of that. Now, this might, have well has, uh, this, this might as well have been uh, a Martian colony, and we were space explorers, right? This was, to this day, this is the, one of the greatest adventures of their lives, they'll tell you. And so we go and we climb up, and at the top, there were, I had already come out hours earlier, and there were Oreos and, you know, goldfish and cans of soda And at 1 a.m., me and my two boys had this feast on this tower that we had conquered. Okay, now just hold that thought. I'm going to give you another example, and I'm going to embarrass my wife with this. (laughs) Jeannie, stand up for a second. I want want everyone to know my lovely wife, Jeannie, here. Yes, now stay standing. Everyone just look at that glorious hair. (laughs) Now, every morning she wakes up and the glory of God hits me from her hair. I call her my cinnamon girl. And so when she was turning 50, which was, am I supposed to say that part? (laughs) When she was turning 50, uh, wait, no, Mike told me you have to stand longer. No, Mike made a deal of this. Back in the back, he was like, no, I want the camera on her, and I want everyone to see. Okay, all right. Now you can sit. I'm blaming Mike for that. I made a book for her, for her 50th, and I got a bunch of photos over the course of her life, and I did one of those, I don't know what those services are called now, Google Photo Books or whatever. Built this book covering all of her life. She was previously widowed. I was previously widowed. So it had stories from before my time, from her child through her late husband, up to our coming together in the Lord. And uh, uh, but I also sent the book out in advance, months ahead. I started sending it to friends from California, where she grew up, friends in Oklahoma, friends here in Kansas City. And so by her fiftieth birthday, I had this little gift book called Cinnamon Girl, and it was filled with letters and memories and photos from friends all over the country. Well, now, here's, here's, here's the, the, the point of both of these stories. There was a treasure prepared that my sons... Didn't, there was a treasure prepared that my wife didn't know about, and there was a place prepared that my sons didn't know about. Now, for me... I had as much fun in the whole thing as them because I knew what was coming and I knew what I had prepared. I knew that my sons were going to get to the top and the adventure itself would have been great enough, but then to get up there and there's snacks, there's pop and Cheez-Its at 1 a.m., I'm like, they're going to love this, therefore I loved preparing it. And I knew, like I'm going for the tears. I knew when I gave my wife that book, she was going to bawl and squall. And I'm like, yeah, score. And so these are tiny little examples. I'm a tiny little human father and husband prone to error and filled with bad ideas. But those were a couple of good ideas. And if I have the ability 
to plan in advance an encounter for my sons and a treasure for my wife. And as far as they know, it doesn't exist, but I know it exists. So I put a flashlight in my boys' hands to lead them to what I have prepared for them. And there was a moment in time for my wife, whether she knew it or not, where I knew she would step into the treasure. Well, this is what we're looking at in the book of Ephesians. Paul goes over a a 257-word uninterrupted sentence. There is grammar, there's punctuation, commas and periods in English because it's just too big. But in the Greek, there's about 200 plus words in the Greek with no punctuation. Now, they may have been spoken with pauses, but the idea is Paul is starting with an idea in verse 3 that goes over 200 words in the Greek and 250 to 60 words in English that has no punctuation in the original manuscript. It's, It's what's called a subordinate sentence, and it's one basic idea that he starts with in, in uh, Ephesians 1.3, but it runs uninterrupted for 14 verses. Uh, through verse 14, sorry. Ephesians 1.3 to 14, and it starts with this idea. We have been given every, not some, not a few good ones, every spiritual blessing Where? In heavenly places. And then for the rest of the 250 some words, he's explaining the dynamics of all of these blessings. And they all have to do with the idea of inheritance. He talks about early on that we were known and chosen before the foundation of the world. See, that's God saying, I've got that little outpost for you I'm going to lead you to but before anything existed I actually knew when you would be born the time you would live in Acts 17 the nation the boundaries of your habitation and the times of your existence and I prepared a storehouse for you in that day it's it's from the earliest times before there was anything God was already laying up riches in heavenly places And so he talks about knowing the process beforehand. He talks about the inheritance we have. He talks about in those verses the the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, which works both ways. It's our glory to inherit him, but he's actually saying it's my glory to inherit you. That elevates the significance of your life Either by itself, both together, your life is so rich with meaning and purpose. You should never look in the mirror and despise what you see. You should look in the mirror and think, God's inheriting me. And I'm inheriting him. It goes on. This is why the Holy Spirit was given as a pledge of our inheritance. So that we can possess. So those first Several verses are so rich, that's part of why it takes Paul so many words. It's not because uh, uh, 
it's not because Paul is making stuff up. It's because he can barely find enough ways to say how good the story is. Now, you can look through that in the notes as I set that up. But the idea that I want to explore in more detail in the last couple of pages of these notes is very simple. God had a plan from the beginning. He's not doing plan B. He's always on plan A. Plan A involved the riches of his goodness toward us being deposited in heavenly realms so that in every period of history, humanity could access what they needed to access. Now, we know that that is riches in Christ. And so all of this is centered around the person of Christ. But those blessings are still specified to be accessible in heavenly places. This is why part of the great battle, the ongoing battle of the earth, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is to take our eyes off the highest prize and substitute natural and inferior alternatives to a heavenly prize that doesn't come as naturally as we would like, which is why he put his Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit has been put in us to transform our thoughts, renew our mind, and make what seemed foreign before natural now. So in other words, we are not striving to be a natural people. Our birthright is to be a supernatural people. And there are storehouses, if you will, treasures stored up, realms stored up, where God has already distributed the things you and I need to prosper in the earth. Now, all of that, again, is rooted in his person. So Jesus, he not only knew and set, set that up, but then in the fall, he determined that in Christ, he was going to bring about not just the forgiveness of sins. That is, the, that is glorious beyond words, and we should forever be grateful. But that is the barest beginning of the riches you are forgiven and made, uh, made right before him so that those storehouses open back up to you where they were closed off. I want to show you how Ephesians unpacks that story. One other little principle to put in there that we, get, we glean from the very beginning of the story. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens... And the earth. Now I want you to hear it and read it. Heavens is plural. Earth is singular. So Ephesians tells us that God knew something from the beginning. And foreordained a process of possession for us. Ephesians is a book of revelation. And a handbook for possession. And to possess something... We must first see it, understand it, be granted access, believe it, receive it, and then hold it. It's not enough to see something to say you possess it. But can you possess what you do not see? No. You cannot believe beyond your level of revelation. That's why we continually need teaching that is opening up revelation to us because our spirit man breathes it like pure oxygen. It just goes, oh, 
and faith rises to apprehend and possess that for which we have glimpsed. So, every now and then it's okay to say amen, by the way. Just every now and then. No, this is good stuff, people. <laughs> so, these blessings in Ephesians 1.3, it's very clear. We have been given every spiritual blessing. We could stop right there and say, I don't feel blessed. The circumstances of my life aren't blessed. I haven't felt blessed in six weeks, six months, six years. There's nothing about my life that looks blessed. That's because you didn't keep reading. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in a certain location. Until you start to realize that storehouses of grace and supply and breakthrough have been made available to you, I'm going to show you in a minute, Think of these like supply depots. These are access points along the way of your journey that you're meant to, uh, to, to dip into. It's like uh, my, my sons this summer. There was a, um, a bike race that happens every summer in Colorado uh, uh, through the mountains. This, whatever they call I don't know what they call it. What are the outdoor bikes called? Mountain bikes. You can see how, <laughs> how in tune I am with that part of my... No, they're, they're, it's, it's a, mountain, a trek through the mountains on mountain bikes for yeah, dozens, hundreds of miles. And people pay to be able to go on this trail, but they need supply along the way that they can't bring on their bikes. So they pay this service who gives them the trail, the checkpoints. And along the way, my sons and others were there with food and resources, and so they would get there, a supply had been prepared for them to recover and continue. To be blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places and for God to know in advance, if I can have a, a decent idea to prepare something for my sons and my wife, how much more the brilliance of God in his glory, recovering something through his son that was lost to humanity, Jesus becomes the pattern son by which a man, a human being, right now is living in a heavenly dimension. How's that possible? It's because he went through the process to gain for us what God always intended to give to us. And he is our forerunner in that regard, the pattern son that has re-permitted access to all of the realms he already set up for us to walk in. So now, in these days of inheritance, as we transition from one age to the age to come, there is more and more need to be spiritually minded people. It is the great peril of the church that we are so naturally minded, we live below the spiritual poverty line, complaining or in unbelief or discouragement, and these are real, I'm not saying you, we aren't all gonna hit those times, but when we can see that God has gone to such great lengths to prepare everything we need, Philippians says, according to his riches in glory, 
He's not even doing it according to your need. You say, I need this. God, would you meet my need? He says, let's have a different conversation. I'm not looking to just meet your need. I want to satisfy you out of my riches and glory. So as we move through, and I, I got to get to it. Let, uh, second page, middle of the second page. Ephesians, verse, uh, chapter one, verse three. I've already basically touched on it. Uh, section three, one, one. To say that every spiritual blessing in heavenly places has been given us in Christ is to say that these heavenly places could be thought of as supply depots on our journey. Now I want to hit pause right there before continuing to enlarge that from the very beginning. Because the order of creation greatly illumines for God to say these things were foreordained, we were predestined, and that the inheritance he made us, he adopted us as sons so we could fully gain our inheritance, is to say that from the very beginning, he ordered creation in a way to instruct us how this works. So to make the heavens and the earth is to say, first of all, there's more than one heaven in this sense of realms. Now we talk about the the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven, that's fairly common kind of language. The area of the clouds, the stars is the second heaven, the realm of God. But there are realms within realms that we function with all the time without really thinking about it. The whole idea when I was a kid, we were taught that, you know, in science and biology, there's three kingdoms, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and the animal kingdom. Well, it's one planet with three kingdoms, Three realms of existence. A plant is a different kind of existence than a rock. And a baboon is a different kind of existence than a tulip. But all three of those operate within the same reality. Ephesians says, heavenly places. And the word is an adjective and it's plural in the Greek. We can talk about the seven mountains. Those are realms within the earthly realm. The realm of government, the realm of, of uh, family, the realm of uh, arts and entertainment, media. These are realms that are so synthesized in our normal experience that we don't often think of in terms of how distinct they are as operational spheres of human experience. So the idea of realms within realms is baked into this thought. God created heavens. Spiritual blessings are stored in heavenly places, plural. And so out of that, not only are they supply depots, not only is a heavenly place glorious in and of itself, but I do like that word realms because it kind of frees us from some of that religious baggage when we think of heaven and harps and clouds and that kind of old thought that makes us really uninterested in heaven. Now, we're, we, we live in a community that talks about this frequently, so most of us have unraveled that kind of dead religious idea. Heaven is far more glorious, far more engaging, far more beautiful, far more powerful, but it can help our imagination to add other words that are synonymous. So heavenly places, heavenly realms, dimensions, 
atmosphere, climate. And that's what we see in Genesis 1, that when God created the heavens and the earth, and then he goes on over a process that's meant to be instructive for us, God always produces the atmosphere to sustain life before he produces the life. So this is not, this is not a, a, an accident. Before plants were created that need light for photosynthesis, he created light. Before fish were created, he created water. Before plants and humans were created that need you know, something firm to walk on and air to breathe, he created an atmosphere in the earth and every stage of creation was preceded by the supply to sustain that kind of life. Now this is so obvious and intuitive that until we hear it, we don't realize the potential that this has to reorient the way we think about spiritual things. He's actually calling us in these days to become a people that know how to move in heavenly dimensions. That aren't limited by uh, uh, rational thought. That aren't limited by the offense or shock of certain events. I'll get to that in a minute, so I don't want to jump ahead because I'm already all over the map. Let's go. Our supply depot, number one. Number two, Ephesians 1.3 is our supply depot. But Ephesians 1.20 and 21 also talks about heavenly places, and it says Christ is seated in heavenly places. Far above, it makes the point. This is not just... He's not just moved to a slightly higher position. He is far above every other competing power. So now we have a supply depot, multiple supply depots in the heart of God from before time began. But Christ has gone ahead of us to secure our access. So he is our forerunner and our pattern son. I already mentioned that. It doesn't matter if we don't get promoted, but Ephesians makes that clear. Chapter 2, verse 6. We have been promoted beyond this realm to have status, sanctuary, and seating in that realm. We've been raised up and seated with him in heavenly places. Now, Ephesians is considered the high watermark of ecclesiology. That is what we call the church, which if you, some of you have read my book, Ecclesia Rising, I take issue with the strength of the word church as opposed to the strength of the word ecclesia. I like to talk about ecclesia more than church, but church is, uh, uh, church is the, the, the beautiful uh, uh, vessel that God has poured himself into, but the Greek word is ecclesia. And Ephesians is considered the high watermark of ecclesiology, the study of the church, the, 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 uh, what God is doing in and through the church. That's ecclesiology. And Ephesians talks about the ecclesia, our position, and heavenly places more than any other New Testament book. So what I'm laying out to you is in this first category of spiritual blessings that launches that 250 word sentence that, that all these spiritual blessings in heavenly places 
Everything cascades from there. Paul launches with that idea and then explains all of that idea. And the whole book of Ephesians lays out the framework by which we understand how significant this is. God has prepared it. Jesus went to re-secure it for us. We've been promoted to receive it. Why? Because we need to know how to touch those realms. Ephesians 6.12 explains that the enemy understands this as much as God and more than us. Because the enemy, Paul says, he orients us to know that our struggle isn't in this realm. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual forces of wickedness, rulers in heavenly places. Why are they there? Now you can talk about they were cast out of the highest heaven. You can talk about that, but why have they set up an occupation in zones that are described to be for our blessing? Well, that should be self-evident. If you hate humans, if you want to crush them, destroy them, kill them, if you want to defile and remove the image of God from the earth, then get on that long mountain bike trail ride and remove all the supply depots and watch them all wither and die along the way. Now, the enemy has set up occupation around the blessings that you are meant to inherit. But until you understand there's a wrestle, until you understand that that is contested territory, they can continue to occupy with squatters' rights, blessings and supply that is meant for the sons of God. And so part of the great journey is God raising up a people with corporate authority that by virtue of their submission to Christ, the spirit at work within them, the renewing of their minds, and and, uh, laying a hold in faithful devotion to God's provision, word, ways, all of that, that we displace those powers and realms that have been locked up for the good of the earth are released. Because he's already set up what is needed for life. And it makes perfect sense that Paul would help us understand if the blessings are there, Jesus has been raised there, you have been raised up with him, you should expect to fight. Because in certain dimensions, they are going to resist your participation in your own inheritance. I'm not going to go into it. John Chrysostom explains that passage. What's significant about that, it's worth reading. He was a fourth century church father speaking ancient Greek about the biblical Greek to a Greek audience when he explains this passage. And he basically says, those principalities and powers understand that there are riches in those realms that you are entitled to. And so they have moved there to occupy and guard it against your possession of it. So our privilege in this is that through the ecclesia, Ephesians 3.10, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers in heavenly places. See, the story doesn't end with God setting it up, 
giving Jesus full permission to win it back for us, raising us up to the place where we are meant to possess it. It doesn't end with the enemy occupying it in such a way that many of us live below the spiritual poverty line, not knowing what is there or how to get it. Now, God says, it is my great delight to actually move you guys with my strength and authority into a place where you do fully possess it and the enemy is humiliated in the process because what he thought to do to keep you from your destiny, I will do everything necessary to move you into your full inheritance. See, this is, a, this is the glory of living in an atmosphere of heaven. It happens in all kinds of ways. Listen, it was uh, 1983. Bob Jones came to Mike. And basically what he did was, even in Mike's confusion, I don't understand anything you're talking about, he told Bob. Bob went through it all. Unplugged TV sets in Asia, songbirds, you know, singers and musicians, uh, um, uh, 100 million intercessors for Israel, a love for the people of Israel, the salvation of Israel. All these stories basically was God, the Father, through the prophetic act, putting a flashlight in Mike's hands. And, he, and, and, and the journey was very confusing for a long time. I remember coming here back in those days. This wall was a little different back then, but the sign hung on the wall 24-7 uh, uh, prayer and worship in the spirit of the tabernacle of David. And I, like everyone else, would look over at that and think, what is that? What do they know that I don't know? And they would teach on it, and it would, be, <laughs> it would become clear they didn't know much either. <laughs> but they had been arrested by a prophetic word that pointed to an inheritance. And they were given a flashlight with that word, for years, 83 to 99, just trying to be faithful, four prayer meetings a day, 21 days of fasting and prayer. God released 100 million intercessors for Israel. That seems impossible, God. How can you ever do that? According to his riches, stay on the path. I'm going to take you to a place where you will actually ascend into a different dimension and heaven and earth begin to agree together, and there's a breakthrough that we look at and say, wow, how did that happen? And he says, I always had it prepared for you. But it takes time on the journey. It takes a climb in the spirit. The application of faith, the daring to stay in the game when it looks discouraging. And part of what I hope to do with this message is just to agitate us enough with the possibility that we don't actually have to stay in the place where we are frequently discouraged. Because we know how to access those supply depots. We know how to access those realms. And when we do, it's not only about access. Right now, so much of our language is about, about the need to break through. We gotta break through, we gotta break through. There's a realm of breakthrough. I believe that, but what I want is the breakthrough where I understand that that realm is there, I can access it, but I can also cultivate it whenever I need it. It's not just about always two steps forward, three steps back, and now I need another breakthrough. 
No, I want to begin to be a heavenly man that moves in heavenly dimensions with heavenly wisdom, heavenly discernment, and faith that is unstoppable so that when I am lacking, I cultivate the climate of the breakthrough that I need. And this is worship and prayer and tongues. This is confession of the word this is acts of obedience it's all the stuff that we do but if you can understand why you do it and why the lord set aside those disciplines and the faithful steady act we aren't living for breakthrough as much as waiting for a mindset shift that realizes our forerunner older brother already accomplished our breakthrough and now i don't want the great aspiration of my life to be as explainable, as affluent, as inoffensive, as normal as possible. I want my life to be inexplainable. I want my life by virtue of realms that I know how to touch, I know how to cultivate, and I know how to inhabit. I want my life to be inexplainable to the world so that I can show them the realms the Father prepared for them too. So spiritual blessings. All of that was spiritual blessings. Knowledge is another realm. I think there's innovation and technology, power to make wealth, entrepreneurship, invention. I think there's understanding scripture. One night, uh, two nights in a row, Jeannie had a dream about two Bible verses that were apparently disconnected. But she shared the dream with me and I was like, I gotta study that. And there was this unknown, unseen connection between these two verses that exploded my understanding of both. The next night, I have a dream, two verses and the Lord connected. It was like a movie script where one passage was part of the dialogue and another passage, even though they aren't read together, but they were woven together by the Lord in this explanatory fashion out of Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Matthew 26, and Psalm 82. And I was just given this script that connected all of these. And in the dream, all I could do was go, whoa, whoa. That was it, in the dream. That was my part. Whoa! I was hearing the Father and Son. In We've been talking about Trinitarian fellowship. I was taken to a place where I heard the Father and the Son talking about those passages, and I understood them in a way I've never understood them before. Well, that's a realm. That's a realm. And for me, part of my access to these realms is through dreams. It's part of all of our access, but each of us have different entrance points according to our calling and anointing and purpose. What you cultivate, I've cultivated a faithful life of dreaming and recording dreams, and that's, that's something the Lord can do whenever he wants. Now, he can anyway, but you get my point. There's a degree of faithfulness in these things. There's weapons Number three, Jeremiah 50, the Lord has opened his armory and brought out weapons because he has a work to do. I think of Elisha and Dothan with Gehazi. They're surrounded. Gehazi's freaking out. Elisha's like, God opened his eyes. 
See, this is why we pray Ephesians 1 probably more than any other passage, especially verse 17 and 18. We probably pray that more in the prayer room than any other passage, that we would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There is so much yet to know. We walk in the grace of God in a lot of stuff that we want even more of the church to experience, and we are ankle deep in a flood of the river of God that is coming. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, that was Elisha with Gehazi. He said, God, open his eyes, and the armory of God opened up. The city was surrounded by chariots of fire, burning, ministering spirits. Pontius Pilate says to Jesus, you know, I'm pretty important. And uh, your life hangs in my hands. Jesus goes, my kingdom is not of this world. And if you knew what I knew and you could see what I see, you would understand that all I have to do is say the word. And I can access a realm where my father will release 60,000 angels. 12 legions, 60,000 angels. Number four, agreement. There is power in agreement. Part of the strength of the enemy is that he has so successfully divided us, we do not know the power in the realm of agreement. We see that this is coming in a perfect way at the end. And I'm going to talk about human and divine and human and human. But if you look in Revelation 21, the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod. This is uh, John encountering an angel doing this, 12,000 stadia. But here's what it says its length and width and height are equal. He measured its wall, 144,000 cubits, by human measurement. And then there's this stunning phrase, which is also the angel's measurement. And here's what I believe at, at minimum. Here's what I believe that passage is saying. There is coming a day, and we are progressing toward that day, where human measurement and angelic divine measurement is finally the same. See, right now, you can look in any number of areas we're bringing in experts on human trafficking because there is such a drastic difference in the measurement of the value of a human life right now that fills the earth with wickedness and cruelty and despair in business, in government, in our dealings with each other. We are frequently looking for the edge or the angle that gives us an upper hand. And at the end of the day, it's injustice. We aren't measuring. If I get a deal that costs you something for my gain, I'm not measuring with, with heaven's measuring stick. But there's coming a day, and the whole city is framed this way. Perfect proportions. Perfect symmetry. That way is as far as that way is as far as that way. Perfect symmetry, perfect balance. And, and, and when it's measured out that way, we come to understand that finally our priorities, our money, our time, everything we consider precious has been calibrated to heaven's standards. There's a realm of human agreement that I believe this house 
needs to move into more and more. Jesus said, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. This is one of those verses that just bothers me because Jesus is trusting us with so much. He's not qualifying it outside of in his name and in agreement with one another. He's like, I'll walk the journey with you of all the stupid things you're going to pray for. (laughs) I realize you're going to make a bunch of dumb asks, but I'm not actually going to front load this with all the warnings against that. I'm just telling you, get in that conversation with me and get into that conversation in agreement with at least one or two others. And a realm of possibility opens when two or three come together in his name like that, that you can start writing blank checks to draw on that heavenly supply depot. Says, yeah, there's going to be stuff along the way you'll get wrong, and I'll work with you on it. I would much rather you ask big and dumbly. I don't know if that's a word. (laughs) Than not learn how to press into love and agreement with others and learn my heart by exploring my name with prayer requests for the, the kind of breakthrough on the earth that we need. Because in that Genesis 1 story where he creates the atmosphere and the climate before the life form, this is evident in so many things. It's, it's evident in, uh, 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 it talks about um, invisible things. They use hyperbaric oxygen chambers to concentrate oxygen to put patients in who are struggling with certain kinds of infection. You put them in there and it's invisible The oxygen is invisible. What's doing the work is invisible. But it is an atmosphere that is hostile to infection and bacteria and conducive to healing and life. You can watch science fiction movies where these alien creatures come down and they look to pollute the atmosphere because they don't breathe what we breathe. And so they're looking to create an atmosphere that is friendly to their kind of existence and hostile to ours. And this is actually a useful metaphor to look across the earth right now and we see how successfully the enemy is climatizing the earth in a way that is, is uh, friendly to demonic values. Our school boards are infected with a climate of demonic values that is threatening the well-being of the next generation. Well, how are we going to climatize the earth with a more noble, virtuous, and spiritual atmosphere? They're succeeding wildly while we look at natural solutions and we don't know how to go to heavenly realms. We need a hyperbaric oxygen chamber set up over Grandview, set up over Kansas City. We are asking God, on earth as in heaven, that's the whole prayer, align, bring into agreement, all of these things. I had a guy ask me, please get to the beauty realm. Well, worship team, come on up. The beauty realm is (laughs) the realm above all realms. 
the most fascinating, enchanting, lovely, the most glorious place to sit. That's what happens in the prayer room. He gave Mike a flashlight. A lot of the rest of us came along and said, hey, where are you going? We want to go too. And we got to a place where we realized there's a different expression of Christianity that is possible in one generation. A different understanding and expression. And it's saturated with worship, saturated with prayer. And people come from all over the world to sit in the greenhouse of a climate that not only God prepared so that we could walk in it, but we've walked in it enough, we know how to sustain it and multiply it and make it available for others. Wow. Wow. I listened last night, went down after everyone was asleep and sat in my room, my office downstairs. I discovered this guy named, uh, what's his name? Elias Aguello, Argentinian worship leader. About a decade ago, he and his wife, they were 21 and 20 at the time. They wanted to make a CD. But when they got to the studio, they decided, you know what? We don't care if the CD ever gets done. We're just going to buy the time to minister to the Lord. And they captured about 90 hours of him sitting in that room. And what was interesting was there would be angelic visitations that would come and they captured the recording where the angels began to sing with them. If it was just he or his wife without the other, the angels wouldn't come. But when they were both in the room together and he got to where they didn't even try to do the, the sets, they would just sing and wait because he had something about the sacrifice Ministering to the Lord in that realm is more important than the CD I'll get out of it. And something about that, heaven drew near, and you can hear on the recordings when the angels begin to sing, and you can see he just becomes, he can't even, he, he just flows with them. And it's so precious to him. He's singing, adios, mi amor, adios, mi amor. No, that's not it. That's goodbye, my love. <laughs> He's singing something really sweet. <laughs> but my point is, he actually expected the angels to come. Because they came once and then he kept ministering to the Lord and they kept coming. So that by the time you watch some of those videos, he's just there waiting for the atmosphere that has been cultivated to open up with what he expects to happen out of that atmosphere. Let's stand. Kept you all a little longer today. I have two things I want to pray for. One, if you feel like you turned your flashlight off, you got a word from the Lord, it marked you, it pointed you to a destiny. This is something I always love to pray for. Kind of a broken record on this in terms of ministry times, but 
I just think it's so important that the people of God hold fast to the promises you've been given. I had a dream recently where Kenneth Copeland came to me in the dream. And for me, that means the word of faith. Romans 11, 10 or 11. The word is near to us in our mouth, in our heart and in our mouth, the word of faith, which we confess. And he came to me in the dream three times and he said, all of the dreams are true, Dean. All of the dreams are true. That was the word. In other words, press in. Turn your flashlight back on. The prize is worth it. The destination is worth it. And that means the journey is worth it. There's words and dreams that have gone gone dormant inside you. Get them again today. Sign up again today. It's better than you think. It's truer than you think. But make this part of your ask. God, I don't just want to break through. I want to know how to become a heavenly man or woman who can live in and cultivate that which I cannot be torn from. And secondly, at a very, very practical level, I am concerned in my soul, especially for young people, 20s and 30s, uh, you've made your commitment to this place. And part of what helps you commit for the long haul is a house to raise your family in and you can't afford to buy a house. I know that's switching gears dramatically, but I believe this is part of that supply line. The interest rates are crazy. Home prices have gone crazy. And you've almost just said, I'll never have a house. And you're living just inch by inch trying to do this great work. I want to ask you, if you are a young person, you can be older and never have owned a home also. But in particular, young people, I want to ask God to open up unexpected supply lines for you. And everyone is welcome. Come get prayer for healing, for whatever you want, but get your flashlight back on. Ministry team, come on up if you can. God, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are so good in your sovereignty, your omniscience, your um, uh, omnipotence and omnipresence long before we were even a thought in our parents' minds. We were fixed in yours. Long before you got to show us what you have in store for us, you had already set up those storehouses. God, I do not want to live below the spiritual poverty line by the folly of unbelief, the folly of ignorance, whether by neglect Whatever the case, God, I don't want to be dispassionate and dispassionate in my fervor for those things, unconvinced of your setting aside those things, or casual in my pursuit of those things, because every one of them is a manifestation of you and your delight in us. God, we want all of Christ. And we want all that has been set up in heavenly places. And so I ask across this room for a prophetic spirit to stir again 
I'm asking for flashlights to go back on. I'm asking for the great hunt, the great chase, the treasure seekers of the kingdom of God to press in like never before. And God, I'm also asking at a very practical level that those that have come alongside this next generation that have determined we're going to that place Bob Jones talked about in 1983. God, I'm asking for you to provide a home for them to raise their families, to sustain them over the long haul. We're asking for favorable settlements. We're asking for estate transfers, gifts, unexpected breakthrough. And even at the sound of my voice, those who despair of such a thing, God, I ask you to meet them right there in that despair with your assurance, with a gift of faith. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for tuning in to Sunday Sermon. For more information, service times, and free teaching resources, visit forerunnerchurch.com.